When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everybody. Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala, and I know too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. With me, as always, is my co-host. She is the voice of the people, the skeptic, the little devil on my shoulder, Kristen Stuttered. Hey, Kristen. Hello. Back back from my five-hour assignment. <laughs> Here <laughs> I am. This was a homework episode, which is always <laughs> exciting. Uh, let's just, before we start talking about stuff, let's just bring in our guest. Very excited to have him back. I feel like it has been three years plus potentially going on four years. The last time, uh, we had him on, it was also a homework episode, but we made him do the homework in front of us. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> comedian, writer, very funny guy, Sean O'Connor. Hey, Sean. Oh, hey, I'm so excited to be here. One day I really do want to defend a band or something, but, I, <laughs> no. but, but honestly, I don't mind watching a bunch of shit. Right. So Kristen, you know what month we're in, what pun month oh god Aug- i ask you every week and this august is the last met erdigust augment erdigust that was, was your close. last chance it was, you Aug- were close. Er- i was closer than i've ever been because i knew it was two parts mm-hmm. yeah for sure last time you were like i don't know no uh, last time i got there august you definitely guessed bloggist <laughs> one i did guess bloggist which is uh, unacceptable <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah, so all, all this month we're talking about the Ahmet Erdogan Award, which is the award they give to non-performers. Uh, this is our final week. We're also, in a sense, we are tapping into what we did last year. This is a little bit of doc-gus because we watched a documentary. Oh, yeah. And so we are, uh, we're kind of closing things out. Sean, I made, last time you were on the show, we made you watch a induction ceremony. Yeah. And then this time we made you watch a four-part uh, documentary series. Yeah, it was a four-part documentary series that I misread your text and I thought there was just going to be like a Jimmy Iovine episode. And then mm. I I started watching it last night at nine. And I was like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> so I stayed up all night watching it. It's, Hell yeah. <laughs> it's great. Appreci- appreciate the, uh, the commitment. Yeah, I still have 15 minutes left on the last, or not even, let's see how many, let me... Let me let me wake up the old iPad and we'll see how many minutes I have left. Right. I have so, fourteen course, minutes left. We are talking about the Defiant Ones, which was an HBO documentary series that came out a few years ago. That is about both Dr. Dre and the person we'll be talking about today, Jimmy Iovine. 
This is now available on Peacock. Mm-hmm. You can watch it with ads for something called Torrid Underwear <laughs> that pop up. <laughs> throughout uh you can watch it for Whoa, free i didn't ads. see a single torrid ad yeah they know that i i need uh brassieres for curvy women i guess <laughs> they know i that's was my... an ad for stitch fix kids huh which really screws me up i just feel like it's very weird that you like a stitch fix is like a thing where they send you clothes you try them on it's like a personal styling service but for kids yeah um, now how often do you google children's clothing yeah exactly that might be my <laughs> sean did you get any uh specially tailored to someone not you on your peacock experience <laughs> to be honest i looked at my phone during all that and i do not even know what was coming up i'm so sorry it's okay I didn't tell you most of this we'll be talking about the uh, ads that came through if you were not on Peacock Premium. Oh, is this now like a Clio podcast? Or are we just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Clio yes. awards are now the thing that I'm obsessed with. Before we get into the talking about this documentary series, I have to ask, it's been a while since we've talked to you, Sean. Have you thought about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame even once since <laughs> we've I, talked to you last? Did we infect you? Did you No, I, actually, I it was after watching another rockumentary about the go-go's i became very obsessed with voting for the go-go's to get into the rock and roll hall of fame oh so wow <laughs> in the time between i was like i now know that this is a big deal mm-hmm. because of this podcast and then the go-go's like the whole like last half is them being like we should be in the rock and roll hall of fame and yep. i was like yeah you should so I've become obsessed with it. Incredible. And uh, it worked. The final yeah. swing of that documentary was a sales pitch for they should be in the Rock Hall. And then it freaking worked and they Successful. got put in. Yeah. And so, you know, and everyone who was in the Defiant Ones is now in, apparently. Yes. <laughs> in, oh, like, nearly all the talking heads uh, yeah. in, in the doc as well. Uh, but did you like, watch the Go Go's wow. get inducted? Like, did you watch the HBO? Thing? I have not. I have not watched it. <laughs> as okay. soon as they were announced, I was like, oh, "That's enough for me." The work is done. <laughs> you you helped as much as you could. Uh, now it's in God's hands. Yeah, another band torn apart by money. Yeah, there seems to be some sort of uh, running theme with the poisonous aspects of money throughout uh, every story in America. Yeah. What do you think that's about? I, I just know. think you can never have too much of it. I don't think there could, anything could be wrong with just solely focusing on acquiring. The I think that's true. Of, the problems with money usually is that you need to just get more of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially like, I think we could all relate, like when we were working with Bruce Springsteen early on in our lives, yeah. like we were like, this is pretty cool, but it'd be a lot cooler if I was having dinner with the guy who owns Monster Gables. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, so let's talk about the Defiant Ones and I'll just kind of go through it chronologically. We will not really be talking about the Dr. Dre parts. The way this documentary is set up is it's kind of, concurrent stories and then obviously they collide at one point and then we'll talk about that but because jimmy Iovine is being inducted this year we will just kind of be focusing on the jimmy story out of the gate they you know they kind of flex on how many people are going to be in this documentary by showing kind of the behind the scenes of like we're setting up we're putting a microphone on diddy like gwen stefani's sitting in a nice velvety chair like this is going to have a lot of stars and it made me think 
they're probably just going to chop up this documentary for the package that they show. Absolutely. The The amount of, and they start it with everybody having like all of the talking heads, just talking about like doing their impression of Jimmy Iovine and then talking about like what a great guy he is or, you know, how much he helped them or how he's a workaholic. It's kind of, I I will say, and I don't want to, I know this is about Jimmy, but Will I Am's impression of Jimmy is maybe the worst impression (laughs) I've ever heard. And he, he thinks it's so good too. He keeps doing yes, it. Yes, he, he's, he's like, here's the ace in my pocket. He, because uh, like I was, because I had never heard Jimmy Iovine talk. So uh, yep, like, up so, until that point. Yeah, you hear Will Am's impression first. first. And then I'm like, oh, so he was like, just like kind of like an effeminate man. <laughs> like, I think you see him and he's just like straight Italian. Like, mm-hmm. could not be more <laughs> Italian. <laughs> yeah, it's strange, like off the bat. And it's kind of confusing uh, where you're like, oh, I guess Will I Am is like a big part of Jimmy Iovine's story. Yes, I. And like he's a good friend and like their confidants. The fact because he's like, I called Jimmy and he wouldn't tell me anything. And then you, it, it like starts with Will I Am acting like Jimmy Iovine is whole. It, I mean, the whole, the whole documentary just turns on the idea of what a big deal it is that they sold Beats by Dre to apple and that's mm-hmm. like a very big money it begins with like the prologue that this deal happened so you know it's going to end with them mm-hmm. selling beats to apple or and to me that's the least interesting I... part of any of their stories is like i don't give a shit that they became billionaires they show a mi- they show a ton of like a just a super cut of like money shows on TV being like 32 bill, 3.2 billion dollars. Yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. It's a lot cut. of money. And I'm just like, uh, you know, maybe I just, I'm just beyond that. Maybe I care about, maybe I have different values. Maybe I care about different things. <laughs> but well, like, it, it especially over the course of the documentary, it becomes a big who cares because you see all the things that you do like, you see all the music that like you love and like yes. change the world. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> That's the, I was like, right. As, like I don't care that they yeah. made a, billion dollars selling their headphones to apple but that's what they care about i think that's like Mm -hmm. the thesis of the movie is that like dre and jimmy are like the best thing that we ever did was sell these headphones sell the rights to like become a part of apple yes it's like you know that stuff that changed your life we hated that (laughs) what we were in it for was the money that was a stepping stone to really becoming part of a monopoly like what like really genuinely they're like we couldn't be happier to just be a part of this absolute conglomerate that's where it's at dudes and it's like shit you were a part of some really cool incredible life-changing world-shaping stuff and your big like the coup de gras of your life is that you made so much money like i don't know it's so so boring like yeah the only truly entertaining part of that whole process is that the deal nearly gets completely (laughs) ruined by tyrese (laughs) 
of all people, <laughs> that Tyrese is truly, is, truly, truly funny. It's the funniest thing in the world. He pops off on Facebook Live. He's crip walking. I'm <sighs> like, what is happening? So funny. Sorry. Like, so this- if you have not seen this documentary, it just begins with like how the deal almost got spoiled because Dre got drunk with Tyrese and went on Facebook Live. When they weren't yeah. supposed to be saying anything like in order for this deal to go down they had to like be completely silent and make sure everything was inked and like like they say the jimmy made it very clear to dre like don't talk to anyone and then like they make it seem like within minutes tyrese is crip walking about two o'clock in the morning two o'clock in the morning tyrese and dre are drunk on face facebook live and that's also just talking great about how they're gonna how dre's gonna you know billion it's a billion dollar deal three billion dollar deal and just you know airing their laundry I, I, and then yeah tyree starts quick walking it's just like holy <laughs> shit and that's like clips that are being shown on cnbc which is also yeah. very funny i do think it also is funny because it also rams up against like the rest of the documentary where like everyone in it is just like so immensely famous and successful and that for some reason the first time you're seeing who dr dre's like peer group is tyrese is in it which makes him seem so much less impressive mm-hmm. like i've been on a southwest flight with tyrese he <laughs> <laughs> like, should not be hanging out with a future millionaire billionaire yeah it's almost like the rest of the documentary is trying to uh make up for the inclusion of tyrese like no 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 he is famous and like he knows like legit i'm like does tyrese follow me on twitter yeah <laughs> Yeah. I think <laughs> we were all in level one improv with Tyrese. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. So that's, and I believe, I don't think they talk about it, but I believe that video knocked off a considerable amount of money from the deal. Like it did fuck them over financially a little bit. The deal went through, but I think they were able to then negotiate some terms that were not good for, for Dre and, and Jimmy. <laughs> And I wonder if Dre still talks to Tyrese. You know, he isn't in the documentary. He's not in there. About- he is so, not. So, you know, that might have just been like the end. But also, would you put Tyrese as a talking head <laughs> yeah. among all these other super celebrities? I wouldn't. So I guess I guess we'll never know. No, we'll never know. I'll I'll ask him next time I see him on a yeah, Southwest Yeah, just flight. DM him. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> okay, so... They they kind of they start off you you see now like kind of the people who are there to talk for Jimmy and it starts off with Rock Hall bigwig John Landau who's Bruce Springsteen's manager says some stuff about the American dream and how that made Jimmy better. Uh, if and then- this were a visual show, there would be like a little Rock Hall in checklist or whatever. Right. You know, every time you mention someone that's in the hall. Uh, mm-hmm. Like there would be like a little Landau info, got it would in be like, a few ding. years ago. It'd be yeah. like Springsteen, ding, you know, like we could keep a count of how many people in this documentary are inductees. I mean, so far mm-hmm. we're at two, three. In- including the ones that aren't Four. obvious, the ones that are inducted <laughs> in this category that yes. we're talking about, the, the non-performer. Mm-hmm. That one isn't as well known, but you do see a lot of people who, who pop up. Who yeah, so far are- we have Landau. And well, I mean, so, so far we've seen Landau. Right. Yeah. And so you see Tom Petty and Bruce Springsteen and Bono and yeah. And then Diddy, no ding. Uh, No ding. (gasps) He'll get it. He'll get a ding. 
Um, and you he will get in. I mean, he should get yeah, in. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that'll happen. Uh, he and he's inducted people before. You know, he inducted. Yeah, yeah he's been there. He's yeah. been there. He's just not. <laughs> yeah. in, he's just not inducted. But right, also. Right, right. From this documentary, I don't believe Diddy belongs in it. I took Whoa, sure. oh, you're it. West Coast? Oh, yeah. <laughs> careful, careful what you say. Watch out. <laughs> I'll never be able to visit my parents again. <laughs> <laughs> we get the, the first time that Eminem calls Dr. Dre the innovator and Jimmy Iovine the levitator. The levitator, the levitator, which I don't, uh, I didn't understand what he was going for. I know they are both words. Mm-hmm. They and they rhyme. That yeah. seems like the major, the major <laughs> yeah. crux of it. And then we, we get some of Jimmy's backstory. Born in Red Hook, Brooklyn, 1953, seems to have a very healthy family. Good, close, tight family. Healthy, uh, if you consider like. Oh, sorry. I just there are so many interviews with his sister where she's just like. We took care of him. We yeah. made sure we never let him lift a finger. We were so worried about him. We just love our little <laughs> Jimmy. We would fly out to California to check on him. And then his wife became his mommy. You know, it just like really. <laughs> that, that does happen. But I, I'm from New Jersey and I think I grew up in a I grew up in a town that's like 98 percent Italian and Italian older sisters love belittling their little brother it's like (laughs) it's what gets them off and they will love them and dote on them but then they're also like you have the littlest dick in the entire world and don't you forget it and i do i did get a lot of that vibe from his older sister talking about him yes that we wouldn't see in the documentary yeah but this is likely going on behind the scenes yes (laughs) she just made it seem like she's like we wouldn't let him lift a finger we blah 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 Mm -hmm. we just you know we made sure little jimmy i just was really seemed like he would get he would get sad and then they would fly to los angeles and uh you know feed him grapes as he laid on the on the the (laughs) chaise um so yeah, he hated every second of, of Catholic school, was a terrible student, bought a guitar, started a band, wasn't good at it, didn't want to, and this is, I love, what a great detail, didn't want to work on the docks with his dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That, that is like, honestly, it does seem like a billionaire trying to talk about his origin story. I know he's leaving out tremendous, like actual interesting things. He, it's like history is written by is only written by the victors, mm-hmm. and he is he's removed all of his flaws. So he goes into this like Springsteen esque origin story that I don't believe completely. <laughs> it's just like it's too perfect. It's right. Well, like the story about working on the docks is that like maybe he could have, but then he didn't want to. So he didn't have to. Yeah, he didn't have to because his, his mom was just being like, more rigatoni. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he goes to the they kind of gloss over this and I don't really fully understand what it is, but he goes to the John Jay School of Criminal Justice very briefly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, to like dodge the draft. To dodge the draft. So that is like a huge school in the city of New York, like the actual mm-hmm. New York City. And yes, yeah, so many people go there to, you know, it's like you get into the FBI that way. It's is like it cop I, school. It's cop school. My my cousin John, who is like uh was like I mean a, a sergeant in the DEA or whatever. He, John Jay? He went, he went to John Jay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, John. My cousin John Jay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And so, I mean, like, yeah, it is funny. We we talk, it seems like it's meant to be like this hard scrabble life. But then he's like, our family friend, Ellie Greenwich, 
uh, gets me a job in a in a recording studio. Ellie Greenwich and inductee to the Rock Hall in Ellie this Greenwich category of Greenwich Village. Wait, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, she one of the great of the Greenwich great Village rock, Greenwiches. You you know who Ellie Greenwich is. She's one of the great rock songwriters of all time. Uh, ah. How lucky that that was a family friend. Huh. Yeah. Wait, she was just, she was inducted in the non-performer category? Yeah, she's like one of those songwriting teams, Barry and Greenwich, you know, and they, they wrote like every song in the 60s that wasn't written by Carol King and, and Jerry Goffin. You know? I got it. So anyway, it's just like that is glossed over that just like Ellie Greenwich, who's like at this point a very connected person, gets him, you know, not a, not a great job, but like a job sweeping floors in a studio but based on the Jimmy Iovine story, that's clearly a foot in the door because he he works his way up from sweeping the floors and getting fired. This is a story about a guy who keeps getting fired at these jobs, but they keep giving him more chances. Yeah. It, yeah. I, yeah. I, I do. I do wonder if this is a fairy tale retelling of like his actual origin story again, because mm-hmm. every single thing lines up being like, I just kept getting fired. I couldn't find the right thing for me. And then I started. And sweeping. then one day I laid eyes on a mixing board. I was sweeping one night yeah. in the studio alone. Well, and he I... has a he has a mentor. There's like a mentor, yeah. like a guy named Roy Sakala, who takes a liking to him for whatever reason, and then just teaches him about engineering and about like how to use the board and how to record people. And they also make it seem like he had been into, you know, and I'm sure that this is also one of those reverse engineered kind of things where it's like, yeah, he always was listening to music. He always was reading the liner notes. Oh, he always, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, Yeah, like literally everybody is always listening to music. Like you can, (laughs) you can spin that uh, however you want. But he he also must have been incredible at his job because I and I think they kind of gloss over that because he gets one lucky break on an Easter Sunday, like mm-hmm. and it is the luckiest break anyone could ever have. And I'm just like, there's just there's no truth to the story. <laughs> like, <laughs> you had to have been good if like your boss is like, hey, do you want to work with fucking John Lennon? Right. Yeah. They act like it was a test, but it's like you wouldn't fuck around and play like a little game with like yeah. this kid you think sucks. I got in an front idea. Of John yeah. Your first day driving for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? Why don't you go up to 1600 Pennsylvania <laughs> Avenue? Yeah. <laughs> Let's see if you got what it takes. And so, yeah, he he's called in on an Easter Sunday. He goes, his Italian family. Can't believe it. They're probably throwing spaghetti in the oh, gotcha. Your cousins, your <laughs> yeah, cousins are coming over. We got to go to church. His mom's Wait. crying, being like, God forbid you. Like, I will also say, we about are doing my funeral. Way thicker New York accents than anyone in this entire documentary has. Yeah. <laughs> like, Jimmy Iovine has like a, like, he has this level of maybe a New York accent, a little bit of a one, but we are really, we're having fun. We're taking liberties like they did with his origin story. Am I right? Yes. We think. Yeah. He's he's just fast talking. I think that is like his New York uh, superpower is that he's very good at talking very quick. Yeah. So like he he records for John Lennon and that's like that's what kind of kicks everything off. He was young. He's very young. He's like in his early 20s at this point. 
Um, still has the unibrow, which yeah, yeah. It's we don't we, we never get the story of when and where that goes. Uh, I wanted that. <laughs> it just disappears in 1991, but mm-hmm. from like 72 to 91, it is there, and, and, and like he's he's living a life with that unibrow. That unibrow scored him Stevie Nicks, right? He landed Stevie Nicks while having a unibrow. Yeah. I mean, there's thing, just so many people. I mean, we we know how to get rid of a unibrow, obviously tweezers. But there's one thing that he gets rid of that I am curious about. He used to have the most raccoon fucking circles Dark around circles his, under eyes, his eyes that he does not have anymore. And I am curious if like. That is what a thing Hollywood you... secret did he learn? Yeah. Can you just get rid of that? Was there surgery? What I that's a, to me the big mystery. And I'd like to find out at his induction. Because basically they do talk at length in this documentary about how much he doesn't sleep, because that is the secret of every CEO. <laughs> they only sleep three hours a day. And that's what makes them a genius because <laughs> their brains are just functioning all the time. Yeah, but they like, can't devote any anything, any uh, effort or energy to their families. Uh, they just have to be working all the time. My takeaway was because this uh, documentary is all about wealth. I think he got away because he's just so rich that he actually can take care of himself. And yeah. everyone looks mm. so much like they did in like the 70s and 80s, except for him. But like if when you're seeing like Gwen Stefani, she hasn't aged since 1992. Yes. But like he looks younger now than he did when he was like working on Born to Run. Yeah, no, he he really looked like a, a haggard old man when he was in his early 20s. Uh, and then he, he his haircut was always bad. <laughs> he had a unibrow. And he I had- don't know liked him back then i liked shaggy little jimmy shaggy little scrappy jimmy for some reason yeah like those little guys like the little squirrely guys the t-shirts just fit them perfectly and he just looked cool and he i looked did pretty cool yeah yeah i also loved in the 80s when he just started wearing a hat you know what's like, happening there yeah <laughs> like his fucking rules <laughs> i think too yeah it's like oh i guess the secret really was just like oh sleep <laughs> turns out maybe that's what got rid yeah. of those because i don't think m- medically you can do anything about that i'm not sure i mean we also don't have a billion now. dollars yeah it could be could be it could be a combination of makeup and sleep and some sort of surgery that we won't know about for another 15 yeah, years. Yeah, some kind of, you know, stem cell injection. <laughs> makeup is a good point, though. I think it could even just be makeup because... But it's so dark and, like... In, it well, be, also, we're seeing, you know I mean? like, black and white pictures from the 70s and stuff, too, but it is, I mean, it is noticeable how dark the circles around his eyes were. Mm-hmm. Suspicious. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, he's, he's at this place called The Record Plant a lot. Bruce... Springsteen describes him as somebody who came with the furniture when they are doing Born to Run. He is just kind of there. He is there to press a button. That's like kind of what his job is until, and I this story I would like to know more I about. I was like trying to understand this Their part. engineer just stops showing up or he doesn't show up one day. So then Jimmy has to be the engineer for that day. And they, and they say the story like they're like, Jimmy, you got the goods. And then he just gets to be the solo engineer for the remainder of the recording of Born to Run. See, again, this is like, this is rewriting things because uh, every one of his stories is, Jimmy, you got the goods, like, across (laughs) the board. (laughs) He's always right. I've never, like, you know, I've worked with people a lot in my life. Mm -hmm. I've never seen somebody uh, be 100% right all the time, yet he is. 
I mean, yeah. he is a billionaire, so maybe. Yeah. Yeah, it's I almost know. like he produced this documentary. Well, yeah. this, yeah. <laughs> the thing about, uh, the thing that I thought about the Born to Run sessions that was like interesting is Bruce Springsteen comes off like a real asshole. Which yeah. You, yeah, like a perfectionist. And not just a perfectionist, but someone who's like, they spent three and a half weeks on a single like drum sound mm-hmm. on like one yeah, yeah. one sticks. He keeps saying sticks to the point where Jimmy Iovine is going to quit. And then they're like, you go back in there and you make friends with him. Like, who is it? John Landau says, yeah, yeah. yeah. he's like, yeah. you'll. If you go in there and tell him it's 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 about the music, it's not about me. You'll make like a friend for life, and you'll learn an important lesson. And yeah. he was like, "And if boy, I Bruce, did." Yeah, if you kiss Bruce Springsteen's ass, you'll never work a day in your life. <laughs> He's like, "Trust me, kid." Because uh, I thought it was Landau who pulled him into the studio. Uh, for this recording session. They, they say he's he comes with the furniture. I guess he was just Got like it. already hanging out at the at the studio. And that's where he meets everybody. That's where he meets Landau, I would assume. And that's where he meets, you know, Bruce, obviously. And yeah. And so then Born to Run comes out and it's a big hit. And then his name is on it. So then he gets to And re- everybody wants him. Including Foghead, <laughs> yeah. which is great because they start playing slow ride and you're like that's an interesting choice for what's happening here <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and he gets fired from his Foghat job because he's not invested he doesn't care about the music he's doing it for the money and he retreats back to the to the record plant and he runs into patty smith who he knew from being around during the born to run sessions and you know what she likes she likes that drum sound Mm-hmm. It was all worth it. Uh, yeah. So she recruits him to produce her next album. And, and he's producing something during the day and her album at night. He's still the working next on Bruce. Bruce. So the next Bruce the album, next Darkness Bruce on the Edge of Town. Yeah. Okay. Right. So he's he's pulling double duty. He's not sleeping. Those eyes are getting dark, darker <laughs> yeah, and darker. Yeah. <laughs> and they but don't someday have... he'll have a billion dollars. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so they don't have a single for patty and bruce seems to have no interest in the song called because of the night that he and, wrote right yeah delved. that yeah bruce wrote and was like this is he, i think he wrote half of it he was like yeah. toying around with it but it was not finished and this is also the first time you actually get to see the magic of jimmy which mm-hmm. is he could talk anyone into anything Right, which, right. Which is probably the worst quality in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> right, but he gives sends it to Patty. She's at first reluctant because she you know writes her own stuff, but then she finishes out the lyrics. She records it. It sounds great. They show it to Bruce. He's like, "What? Uh, what are you doing?" I don't think Landau's a huge fan. We get a reference to the MC5. Yeah, uh, because Patty at the time is with. Fred Sonic Smith, who's in Detroit, and mm-hmm. they talk about, you know, their long distance relationship that kind of fuels the rest of the lyrics. Yeah. If he had just answered the phone, there would be no mm-hmm. because the night. Mm-hmm. It's so funny how yeah. it works that way. Right. Yeah. If only he was a better guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we would we would be missing out on one We'd of the We'd be great missing songs. out on so much music if mm-hmm. if men were better in general. <laughs> uh so because the night goes it's in the top 10 it's like bigger than any bruce song and you know they're the bruce camp they're kind of like okay uh great and you know it's jimmy's ambition to to pull this kind of move that that paid off uh and like the kind of last thing we hear in part one is a quote from bruce which is where he says he's 
good at letting go the things that made him successful to move forward. And why don't we, before we get to part two, take a quick break. And then we'll talk about the rest of the series when we get back. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We hope you had a nice break. We hope over your break. You, you ensured do. that your Zoom background is, you know, passes the Hayes code. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. You got to It's important. Business calls, et cetera. Uh, all right. Part Ooh, two. Du duty calls. Duty. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> they don't so know what sorry. that. The listener know, doesn't know what that means. This. Oh my gosh. But I'm keeping it. <laughs> All right, part two, we get some we get some Tom Petty stuff where Jimmy meets Tom Petty because what is Petty like? What is he into? That drum sound on the Patty Smith album. It it is crazy how the drum sound is just which I guess is just tying Yikes. into the bigger theme of like, you know, Beats by Dre. It's all building up to like, you know, bass and like drums. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I get I guess it is tied into that. However, I will say, all right, I know this is about Jimmy Iovine, but like in the part one documentary, I started wishing the whole documentary was about Alonzo, the guy who ran the uh worldwide wrecking crew I oh my he gosh yeah. incredible <laughs> and i just want to give him a shout out because i loved him so much he yeah when he's like giving the he's he's in the space where they performed and he, yeah he's just going off i love him he is like that guy who you know he was so adjacent to fame just like so close you know i i actually when my wife and i were watching this together and i turned to her and i'm like the reason why dre and jimmy iovine succeed and he doesn't <laughs> is he has one comment where he talks about how he was just doing this for the girls and that was mm -hmm. enough yeah and it was never enough for dre and jimmy iovine like they yeah. needed exactly. more so i guess that is like but also like i'm like alonzo probably lived way more of a life <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah he had more fun he got to he enjoyed his life these guys were yeah. tortured constantly that is i think that the whole thesis of this is just like I don't know, quote unquote, geniuses are never happy 
So why yes. why be a genius? Yeah, you yeah. can make a billion dollars, but at what cost? At this, what cost? Will you ever be happy? No. So, so I didn't watch this when it first came out, but I didn't remember while watching it that like uh, my agents were posting on Instagram uh, like how much the show was inspiring to them. And mm -hmm. through watching it, I'm like, oh, this is very like, you know, rise and grind mentality, yes. mm -hmm. which is just to me, not... Of what a genius does like. it's also just unappealing who yeah. likes being around rise and grind people it's it's all the people who get rich off of it yeah that's, yeah that's the people who the people who they then get to be geniuses by association are the ones who are like you know what there's something to this it's like <laughs> every guy who was in a suit in this documentary you know yes. they're like oh yeah i was there i put the beats on my head they took a picture of me <laughs> that yeah <laughs> i i mean truly like in i think in part two this happens where i was like because this whole documentary is about how dre and jimmy are obviously geniuses mm -hmm. but no, there's one defiant one <laughs> Defiant geniuses. Defiant They're defiant geniuses. But at one point, the only idea that Jimmy ever is showcased in having in the first two parts is when Tupac's in prison. He goes, why don't Dre and Tupac do a song together? I'm like, that's not smart. Like, I could have <laughs> thought of that at the time when I was like nine. Like, mm -hmm. that's just like putting your two toys together. But yeah. that is something they say that he's very good at is putting two people together. And then they do a whole montage of people that he put together. We will get to that in part three or four. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's like going, what if, wait a second, hold on guys. Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg. What if they made a movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that could work. I love peanut butter and I also love chocolate. Yeah. But yeah, so I, we we get this petty stuff. He goes to L.A. for the first time. Also, Stevie Nicks' induction speech finally made sense after mm -hmm. watching this. I was like, oh, now I know who these people are. Now I know what she's talking about. Now I know who all these girls were that she was talking about keeping right. in the basement. Yeah, so she, like, was, <laughs> she really rambled during her induction speech without any context. And we looked she's at the, like, we looked I at was the prompter at Jimmy's and it just house. said, wrap it up. <laughs> I was living at Jimmy's house. I was dating Jimmy, but we didn't want Tom to know. And I'm in the basement and I'm making this record with these girls, you know, but I want one of Tom's songs. And it's just like, now I see why that would have made sense if you had lived it. I do think the Tom Petty, Stevie Nicks section is the one time where I was like, other than like, I think a lot of uh, the early Ruthless Records part, but like the one time where I was like, oh, they're glossing over drugs here because mm. there's definitely some drugs going on because i mean i have seen fleetwood max behind the music i know <laughs> how out of control stevie nicks was at this time mm. and like there had to be something that attracted her to jimmy iovine other than like you know his pure italian essence but like the whole thing felt really druggy to me like the well and she says that she goes there were too many drugs and she basically is like i had to leave jimmy for his own good because i was on too many drugs is that what she's inferring it is alluded to yeah that like that after when they're kind of done talking about this period and and they break up so just to catch yeah catch, the catch listener our up, listeners up uh jimmy becomes like tom petty's main producer even though at the time i think Petty thinks that like he's gonna be more an engineer, but he like brings in an engineer and it's like, no, I'm I'm gonna be producing. And you know, they they have a, a good amount of success. And then Stevie Nicks just kind of starts showing up. 
mainly because she likes Tom Petty's music. And then she becomes enamored by, by Jimmy. And within they, I think they say 10 days of meeting each other, she is living with him, but it's a secret to everybody. They're in a romantic relationship. Jimmy doesn't want Tom Petty to know because he thinks that then Tom will think that his attention is being diverted from him and that he's now working with Stevie. He needs to be Tom all the time. And so there's this period where they're having this seemingly tumultuous relationship and he starts producing her and then that's successful. He does the same, almost the exact same move exact, as he did He pulls with the exact same playbook. Patty Smith and Bruce. Yeah. yeah. Takes a song that Tom's not really invested in, that he hears something in, Stop Dragging My Heart Around, and then they make it a, a big hit with it as a duet. This could be because I'm like, just not that well-versed in that style of music, but the way they were talking about Stop Dragging My Heart Around, they were making it seem like it was like an American standard. And when I heard it, I was like, I don't think I've ever heard this song before. And then it immediately goes into Edge of 17. I'm like, I've definitely heard this song before. Sure. Why are we focusing on this like this song that maybe- what it was, I, guess I it was think it's because of the drama. I mean, I definitely know Stop Dragging My Heart Around. Yeah, it's a, it's a great I, song. But I think it was because of the drama surrounding Tom Petty's reaction yes. to the way Absolutely. that it was like kind of snuck on him. And, and the, the parallel and, between- And the parallel yeah. between the Bruce thing. And then also the fact that like their albums were coming out at, uh, at the same time and- it is, again, interesting. We really do love to just lionize and glorify an all-consumed male genius. Like, we just love it. We're okay with a guy being like, I don't want my producer to have anything else but me on, you know what I mean? It's like, we love talking about people who don't do anything but work. And we're like, isn't that great? How they just don't, you know? I'm like, ew. Yeah. It almost becomes this weird justification, I think, in a capitalist society where when you were watching this, it's justifying all of their terrible behavior throughout mm-hmm. their entire life to be like, it was all worth it. Cause here I am, I have a huge apartment in New York and look at my shitty old apartment. And that's considered <laughs> a win in America. Mm-hmm. Right. But the thing is, there are so many people who neglect their families to work really hard, who don't end up successful but we just no, there's no one has any interest in telling that story. No, yeah. they're they're terrible. But like they should have yeah. just worked harder and neglected their family more if they really wanted That's it. it. Come on, it. come on. <laughs> I, well, I just was thinking too. I, again, I know it's no like it, it's not a revelation that people that we think are great artists are also jerks and stuff. But it is interesting to me that I think Tom Petty looks like a real dickhead as well. It's like jealous and petty dare i say (laughs) yeah the idea that like they imply like if tom found out that jimmy was talking to a woman it wouldn't be good pretty standard and he straight up says you know i was really mad when i found out that he had another thing going and i was really you know it just we're like oh he's right to have done that and it's like yo yeah toxic behavior yeah. R.I.P. Tom Petty. <laughs> Truly. Well, but it also reminded me how 
absolutely all star that fucking album is. and the torpedoes yeah yes no. i grew up on that album that's like a, my parents were like and, yeah. straight up i've heard every song on that album so many times and i was like oh my god that is a real so i guess you know ends justify the means <laughs> no I, I i agree with you i a hundred percent like honestly if you have to be a dick to make that good for you, good for you. Like, you know i guess it, it. yeah so yeah the the stevie relationship dissolves they hint at that drugs played a part they show like a small i think this is actually the only negative part of jimmy's story is they show them getting into a minor argument mm -hmm. which i have to assume there was a bigger one because it was mentioned by stevie and this was yeah. like very minor but it was like truly watching you know a couple fight and it was awkward and weird and I'm, passive aggressive yeah yeah it was very passive aggressive I'm so glad they kept that in because i think jimmy's story needed a little bit more drama yeah it, it's it's certainly it's humanizing too you're like oh, okay yeah this is a very real thing i'm I'm watching again then, from new jersey i've seen italian men put their women <laughs> in place for so long <laughs> and it's never really explained uh but stevie wicks always just has like a, a coven of witches around her uh, yeah well it's like she this those are the girls that she's talking yes, about in that speech in she's like speech, i'm making yeah. a record with these girls and i've got this great idea it's going to be me and the girls and blah 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 and then you see like that recording session too did, did you see uh, when she was sitting down for the interview she was standing by the piano but her this chair she was going to sit in had like a little scarf on it like for her to sit on it i thought that was just a really great character moment for stevie mm -hmm. nicks yeah there's she always can't a... just sit on chairs she needs a scarf yeah. off the chair. a special stevie nicks the, scarf yeah must be appropriately dressed even the the chair so jimmy becomes so successful producing these albums belladonna with stevie nicks and the tom petty albums damn the torpedoes specifically but you know, he's producing a lot of albums for both of them that he's not, he's now just working with established artists because he's like, maybe the label thinks he's too expensive for new artists. So he's working with Dire Straits. He's working with Bob Seger. He breaks up with Stevie and he's sad. And, you know, this is where mommy mommy and, and sissy come, come on in and they fly in they go oh, jimmy. Yeah. oh jimmy and then you know he finds a new mommy a beautiful woman named vicky she is ivy league educated a lawyer and a playboy buddy yep. the, <laughs> the every man's dream <laughs> the story of he asks her he i mean this again the story is also of first date is creepy yeah. it's extremely creepy but i you know you think about the time that it was said and i just was thinking about like how absolutely it was just men the way that we that men and women were expected to act toward each other is like what are we talking about again i think this is where we are glossing over drugs yes. because that is the most cocaine idea <laughs> she gets into a maroon limo there's a little napkins with a name on it a glass of champagne but best best part of all, I'm not there yet. She's like, coming to his house to pick him up because he doesn't want to wait. Yeah. Like, insane. You insane. Go, a maroon limo shows up and you get in and your name is on matches and the napkins. 
horrifying. Well, it's like such an apocryphal story too, very clearly where it's like, he says, look, if you give me your number, say it out loud right now, if I can remember it, I, I get to call you. How about that? <laughs> yeah. And he called her 10 times. Called her 10 times. <laughs> Deeply disturbing. Later, she'll learn that that's actually just what he's like. Yeah, he mm -hmm. just loves he the just, phone. He just does call everyone <laughs> until he gets them. He'll just keep calling. He's relentless. But, uh, He's a relentless. So she's like kind of an on-air personality, it seems, maybe for MTV or or something. Yeah. She's at the Us Fest and interviews Bono and pushes Jimmy onto you too. Meanwhile, Jimmy is, it sounds like Bono is a little more interested in getting to know her. Mm, yeah. Right? I think, I, yeah, I think, you know, I I think he did like a Nexium move. To get <laughs> mm. Okay. Not to combine documentaries, but okay, Jimmy. Wait, wait. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Jimmy, listening. Jimmy's weaponizing his fiance to get him his new babes. Ooh. Yeah. It's weird to hear Bono describe who he thinks Jimmy is at this time, and more interestingly, who he thinks he is, because he's like, Jimmy was too slick. You know, we're punk rock. He's like, we're yeah. punk rock. I'm like, oh, like, wow. I guess maybe like early on, that's their inspiration. The that's like their is, influences. Though, in they the they 80s, were post-punk. Like right, the yeah. first two albums right. are like straight yeah. up post-punk. Like I would never even, like they were kind of like artsier than. Yeah, but I guess I think about it too. I'm like, yeah, in the 80s, they were like, and they still are to a degree, but they're just so ubiquitous now that we're like, yikes. But, you know, they're victims of their own success. Uh, but in the 80s, they were quite conscious, you know, and. Oh, sure. Like, they were very political. Political. Mm -hmm. and... You never assumed Sing 2 was around the corner. Yeah, you didn't <laughs> You never expect Bono would play a widower lion. A widower <laughs> lion. Drawn back into the music biz. <laughs> Um uh, by an upstart oh group of singing animals. But yeah, so he 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 hooks up with you too, uh, does under a blood red sky, and then both of his dad's parents die, and then, and then his, his dad. dad die all within six months. And then weirdly they're like, so then we were like, Well, I guess we gotta get married. Yeah. yeah. Which was a, yeah, I mean like I I I I guess I understand. It's just like, well, what are we waiting for if all, all of our mm -hmm. parents can die? The parallel that they draw with, with Dr. Dre and his brother dying, and they're like, Dre was on tour and his brother got murdered in a fist fight in Compton and he flew home. He missed one concert date and flew back and everyone thought Dre was going to be a different guy. And he wasn't. Uh, yeah, maybe <laughs> he don't put said, that Let's in Let's get the... back to work. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa okay he never talks about it too like dre never they never like get him to talk about it at all either it's all secondhand stuff mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i do I think feel he like says i don't want to talk about it. yeah he does he's like yeah. i don't the, if, if i was you know editing this this i think this could have been two hours and i also think <laughs> a lot of I, I think a lot of their problems could have been solved by going to therapy mm -hmm. um... and to deal with their issues and trauma no doubt yeah i mean like i'm glad that we're not talking about the dr dre side because i also think that they gloss over a lot of maybe his issues oh mm. my gosh mm. the amount of sexual assault that they just like mm. you'll see it like uh, whatever man yeah yeah like jimmy iovine is i think uh, portrayed as a pure god and everything he touches is, turns to gold he's a king midas in the music industry and dr dre had some flaws that he had to overcome before he became a billionaire and that mm -hmm. there's just two ways to become a billionaire yeah, either, are, yeah. 
you're perfect or you have to claw your way up there. Right. So yeah, obviously the Jimmy went through a lot of trauma. So that leads him to making a Christmas album uh, that he did. Oh yeah. His oh dad my loved gosh. Christmas. His dad His famously dad loved, loved Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> um, and you know, does he's it for the charity. same guy who would make let's get <laughs> yeah let's go yeah you know, right anyway i'm just uh, saying like you're gonna keep, so we will get to that but yeah. damn he's uh you know, for the special olympics uh we get, yeah i mean i don't know that album but i guess it was a success uh i've he, seen that like keith herring christmas cover before i, I owned that album because it was the only album with christmas time in hollis uh oh yes. okay there you go which I'm like, i the, i've definitely seen it there you go and you, there's an annie Lennox sighting fellow yes. inductee this year there's actually a sequel to that that they just completely don't talk about oh yeah uh, it's green right yeah, it's, there's it's the, the red one. cover and the green <laughs> yeah. cover where which uh, it has santa baby the rap version of santa baby on it which was interesting very good if you're if you if you were born in the 90s <laughs> and only in the 90s yeah <laughs> So yeah, he's he at this point it seems like Jimmy is becoming more about the business than the music. Tom Petty explains that several times, and this is I kind of love this. He takes scissors and cuts Jimmy's phone line. Yes, full on. And the idea that he did it uh, had to do it several times means nobody's really learning anything from this interaction. Also, Tom Petty sounds so pissed when he's talking. This is what I mean by like Tom Petty is just like kind of a jerk but it's fine i understand it yes also like if your producer is just on the phone when you're trying to make an album yeah i would be mad as yeah well. that was like the weird uh, to me a very strange in the retelling of somebody's life story the fact that he worked on so many like important influential albums and then it was like and it all meant nothing to me because what i like doing was the business side yeah i'm like this is not actually like a like uh that's you're not likable in this retelling that's not what you're supposed to say even if yeah. that's what you think you know it's supposed to be like it was always about the music you know the business just kind of fell into my lap but you know it was always about making great records but it was like i was really <laughs> burdened by having to make these classic records over but and over you know what i think about like the clarence avon documentary too mm -hmm. and he's just like i never really wanted to make music i wanted to make connections and i wanted to uplift the black community you know and but he is also like i wanted to make money and i wanted to make yeah. money and so it's like you know that's like yeah i, I think that's what the that's ahmed's dream it's what he would have wanted i i mean <laughs> i guess i should kind of appreciate the honesty in that because it is flawed thinking in terms of like i guess right now the my problem with defiant ones as a whole was I, like the documentaries I like are like uh, Decline of Western Civilization because it's like of the moment and you're living in it and like mm -hmm. nobody is kind of grandiose in their thoughts. But like in this one, it is very much like painting a picture of just like everything was great and everything worked out. And yeah, let me tell you the story of my life. Yeah. Yes. And right. I've seen quite a few of these because there's the Clive Owen one. There's like, especially Clive these, Davis, not Clive, Clive Owen. Clive <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's when I was on the set of Troupier. <laughs> oh my God. A movie I, what, what, what are, anyway. okay. But, um, um Right. Yes. Yeah. These documentaries that are clearly funded the by the subject and the Quincy Jones one. And mm -hmm. the, like, that's like a real, we're in a, a, that's the genre you know, the, of, do of doc we're in a moment it's having a moment it's a yes. vanity doc yeah yes. about yourself that you produce that you control and in order to get the access to have a uh, even like a little bit interesting documentary it now needs to have approval maybe the only 
good authorized music doc is the Eagles one because somehow they let the real fucked up shit <laughs> kind of come to the surface. Uh, I still then, haven't seen that one. I will watch it. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think everyone kind of learned their lesson after some kind of monster. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. that's where Metallica yeah. goes to therapy. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh my god. But closing out this, the part two, Jimmy Iovine has to do it. The album is Rattle and Hum. That's the live one that they tour. They do a movie with it. They do. 269 takes of one song and they literally wear out the tape like the tape disintegrates and that's the thing that broke Jimmy and that's maybe his like final straw in terms of like being a producer and as Tom Petty says Jimmy's heart was in business his calling was to be a great <laughs> businessman okay and that's and then we that's how we closed out part two and then part three is where we get and that's where we should have seen that this is going to end with a headphones mm-hmm. deal. Yeah, with, yeah. A, like, with an acquisition, <laughs> with a business acquisition. His greatest accomplishment isn't Born His, to Run. Yeah, it's no, no. The Beats by Dre Apple merger. <laughs> like, yes, and the we'll, story. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. We'll the get, story we'll behind it is like I mean, so come on. so great. At the beginning of part three, we get some weird, what I would call weird Jimmy. He like walks up to a bear statue and sits in it like it's a chair. It's not a chair. And he talks about how the bear is the ultimate killing machine. And he really respects that. (laughs) He's like on land, on water. You can't stop a bear. God really, he figured it out. He invented the ultimate killing machine. And he's not like, it doesn't seem like he's joking. He's just kind of very nonchalantly talking about like, yeah, you got to love bears for that. And then we get some more stuff from the neighborhood about how the guys from the docks would bring extra stuff home. Which is interesting because then in part four, there's the whole anti-piracy part. And who are the real, who are the, who is the, real, the original Napster? The guys from the docks. The guys from the docks. Where do you think the term pirate comes from? You're looting cargo. And there's a moment where he talks about in 1989, he wants to stop producing records. And he briefly says he wants to spend time with his kids. And I don't believe that for a fucking (laughs) second. But then he met one billionaire at a party and was like, I'll do a record label. Right. Uh, And you don't ever hear from the kids talking about their dad. You do not hear from the kids because what is it? The Clive Davis documentary. There's the one. I mean, oh, it's that dickhead. Who is his name? Azoff. Irving Irving Azoff's son is in his package for the rock hall. But also, you know, Clarence Avon's daughter is all over. Yeah, she's all over, but she's like all over his documentary. I'm talking about the, yeah, the Irving Azoff one where it's like his kids are like, well, and it's like, I think he has other kids who talk Mm -hmm. about just like, what kind of a work addicted asshole their dad is. And then his son is like, he's my hero and I want to be just like him. And you're like, cool, you know, cycle of trauma. Let's go. They, yeah, they 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 do that in 89. They go, he wants to spend time with his wife and kids. Then as soon as he starts his business, they're like, he just sat in the bathroom. <laughs> Which like, you don't need to do that. Why is he in the bathroom? You can take the calls near your family. So much B-roll of, of a female hand putting a glass of orange <laughs> yeah. juice in the bathroom door. Close up on a Q-tip. I was very confused for like when it first started because we didn't know he was in the bathroom yet. They're right. like, if Jimmy starts his business, it's like close up on a telephone, close up on Q-tips. It's called filmmaking, up- Kristen. I was like, what? It keeps you engaged. Keeps but we engaged. do see, I don't know if you caught this, Kristen, but we do, we, we meet a longtime advisor to Jimmy Is this Grubman? 
Alan Grubman. Yeah, I caught it. Grubman's all over this. this. Yeah, well, Grubman it, is he is all around. He waxes poetic about David Geffen, and then you know the the meeting with who's also an inductee. We get like you know Ivy learns the ding, art ding. of business in music from from David Geffen. He sat on his knee. That is what he says. <laughs> yeah, he sat uh, on his knee. And they find and out that a guy named Ted Field is starting a record company. He's like the black sheep of the Marshall Field family. And uh, don't worry, he is white. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so Jimmy, like he starts Interscope. Uh, he brings in a guy named Doug Morris from Atlantic to kind of help him. And, and just great- like that, there's like some there's like tape where a guy's like, and I said, if you ever want to start a label, I'm in for half, Jimmy, whatever you do. I'm like, yeah, yeah OK, you Morris. know, normal stuff. But the best is that their first signing for Interscope. Yes. Is Rico Suave himself, Gerardo. Gerardo. Now, I got confused in the retelling of the story because he talks about going into the office and everyone's watching the music video for Rico Suave. So did he sign Rico Suave after? Had that song been made? Had the video already existed? And then he just brought them to an American market or something? Yeah. Or I was too was confused. Pro- was it a promo video? Because the way he was talking about it was that like American. It's in his like it was, was like sweat- that Diet Coke break commercial you yeah. know it was like he walks into the office and all the ladies are gathered yeah. around just fanning just, themselves yeah. <laughs> watching a video and what are they watching it on i mean i don't know do they have a vhs because i mean this is okay i'm 90- looking I'm, lo- I'm looking it up so they did release his first album so they okay. must have been watching other footage it seems like he was in some movies he was in a movie called colors which was about south central about los games. angeles yeah. gang violence and his dance skills are showcased, but he didn't sing in the movie. So I don't know. He must have been like a figure. I don't know. Maybe like some he's singing at shows and stuff. And maybe it was a tape from a concert. Yeah, it could have all. Yeah, it could have been like he sent it in as like a like a demo or a promo, I guess. I was just very confused in the retelling. I was too. Yeah. Well, also, no, it's just because is... nowadays <laughs> yeah. you could imagine people gathered around a computer watching a YouTube, YouTube. video. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, what were they watching? It well, on? Mm-hmm. And you also have to remember, it was 1990 or 1989. And mm-hmm. uh, up until that point, Ricos weren't suave. <laughs> So the perfect documentary. (laughs) It changed the game. We've seen Rico's before, but here's one who's suave. We just hadn't seen anything like that. It's perfect. I got to get off Gerardo's Wikipedia page because I suddenly saw that he became an A&R executive at Interscope and he signed... He signed Bubba Sparks. Wait, bro, wait, oh That's my God. It's not in the documentary. Bubba Sparks gotta... doesn't even make it into the documentary as one of no, the scope no, no, no. roster. Um, uh-huh. But they do talk about how, you know, it's just kind of weird that they signed Gerardo. So like their main A&R guy at the time was like, okay, are we just doing weird stuff? I guess I'll go find I'll somebody weird. And yeah. they, they find Primus and Primus likes that Gerardo's on the label because they <laughs> yeah. think it's like fucked up. <laughs> Uh, and then they talk about like who are the early signings for Interscope Records, and it is a great uh, it's roster. Wild. Helmet, Born on Blondes, Tupac, Marky Mark, and the Funky Bunch, and an early pre-fame, no doubt. Yep. Yeah. And that story is kind of fun. It's also a story that like- Once again, apocryphal, where it's yes. like, did that really happen? Jimmy that goes he- up to, he signs Gwen and no doubt- and, you know, she doesn't know anything. She's pretty young. Uh, and he says, you're going to be a star in six years, which is like, did he say that to a lot of people? And that's just the one. I think that so. I think if you, if, if, 
he interviewed like the head of Helmet, like the lead singer of Helmet <laughs> in this documentary. He would have been like, he said the same thing about me. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, they, they talk about how he was never he was never satisfied with No Doubt's work and you know, kept sending them back, like keep keep working on it, you'll get there. And you know, the kind of the way he runs Interscope is that like you know, he doesn't like music industry people, but he'll just find good producers and then he'll produce the producers. And then we get into this section about how he was obsessed with Trent Reznor and trying to get Nine Inch Nails off of their label, which they hated. Yeah. And this was actually an interesting thing where I, I think this goes back to, you know, uh, history is written by the victors. Mm-hmm. He has a guy he completely humiliated in a business deal in this documentary, like just admitting defeat, which is yeah. the most power move I've ever seen. It's the only like adversary really that I think we see in this movie. We see a guy named Steve Gottlieb. Steve Gottlieb. T- but then TV later TV. there's the other guy who's totally loses when yes, they're yes 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 yeah. michael Fuchs. that guy we'll, we'll is that, that yeah, guy that's really that's loser. the big <laughs> loser of the film but this guy steve gottlieb to me he knows he's a villain and he knows he's an asshole but he also is like the fuck are you gonna do about it you know what i mean it's interesting because they show other people talking about him that's the best part is when the guy goes he got steve gottlieb to give up which mm-hmm. anybody who knows Steve and then he makes like an eye roll kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Cut to Steve Gottlieb just sitting glaring at the camera in silence. <laughs> like, yeah, they do a lot of that. Uh, yeah. Like using B-roll to represent someone. Yeah, that's a someone's... real reality television yeah. editing move. Yes, there there is a lot of like, he. it, feel, it feels like he's debasing his foes a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he, it's it's the, the classic thing of Jimmy gets in that bathroom and he doesn't come out until he can figure out some sort of deal to get Nine Inch Nails on Interscope to be allowed to do that. And he's relentless and he does it. And then he meets up with Trent and it's dark. And he he says it's like a meeting with Dracula, which is very funny. <laughs> and then Jimmy just fully like bends over and is like, what do you want? I'll, I'll give you whatever you want. And then Trent says a bunch of stuff and he's like, what more do you want? And then Trent's like, I guess I'll, I want a label. And he's like, what more? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess he, I mean, that's what makes Jimmy Jimmy. He sees Trent Reznor and he goes, but you also wonder how many people he like doggedly pursued and you never saw them ever again. I don't know. Maybe not, but. Well, and it just seems like this is, you also get the first taste of like Jimmy. It's like the story they're telling is like, Jimmy would do anything to get what he wants. He'll stay on the phone for a full year never leaving the bathroom just Mm -hmm. to get, I want to fuck you like an animal on the radio. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. like it is interesting that it's like, it leads us to what kind of makes him so valuable with regards to all the lawsuits of Dre and uh, Tupac. Mm -hmm. And like with this, uh, trying to get Trent Reznor, he was not the only one trying to do that. Like many people had failed in trying to figure out how to get Trent and Nine Inch Nails off of TVT. And like, he was the one to finally crack it through his uh, dogged, relentless pursuit. And then around this point is when, you know, Jimmy's trying to establish Interscope. This is where we cross over. He hears The Chronic, which Dr. Dre has fully finished and nobody is interested in. And Jimmy being like an old engineer can really notice the kind of sonic innovations that are happening with that album. You know, there's also these lawsuits with Ruthless and Jerry Heller and Easy E. And there's just, there's a lot of baggage that comes with the chronic, but Jimmy does not 
care. He's too impressed with this album. And he says like, I'm going to clear up all the lawsuits in two to three weeks. If you could just wait, then we'll make this happen. And Dre's like, all right. Yeah. Yes. He was, he was so blown away by Dr. Dre being like, he was like, who produced this? And he's like me. And he's like, and who engineered it? And he's like, also me. And then he's like, <laughs> I'm like I, who's I, this I, rapping? Also yeah. me. Like, but not always. Yeah, exactly. Not when it's good. Uh, JK, JK, JK. Um, and yeah, Jimmy knows that like, if you just get this played, it's over. Like the, this is so undeniably great. Uh, and then they very quickly gloss over that the record company bought radio spots, which I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm being naive, but I thought we didn't say that out loud. Yeah, I thought you, <laughs> I thought that was literally known as payola. payola. I, I thought mean, I'm there sure was like a big scandal I know it, like, about that that almost ne- brought down the record industry at one mm-hmm. point. But like <laughs> also that clearly never stopped i just thought like we didn't say it out loud yeah you're not supposed to admit it even after it was exposed i believe Mm -hmm. especially on film but you know whatever i think it's very funny that jimmy was like we got to get you guys on the cover of rolling stone and (laughs) snoop dogg is so like oh my god Snoop in he keeps calling them rolling stones magazine magazine? i don't don't know what the fuck rolling stones (laughs) magazine mick and keith i can't name a single one of their songs but you know what he was right suddenly white people want to take the fucking flex of including people on that very set that's such a good cut where he goes all these exactly he goes he goes, I suddenly have all these white people want to take photos with me. I love you, Snoop, blah, blah, blah. I never had that before. And then they insert two quick cuts of white people on that actual set that he is sitting there from taking selfies, like literally <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. crouching down and giving the peace sign. Yeah, it rules. Look hard with Snoop. Kind of dunking it was on just the PAs. Such a good <laughs> thing. I, just, I mean, I kind of hope that those were like execs. They look yeah. like kind of, they look like execs. We'll never know. They had too nice of jeans for them. Um, (laughs) But, you know, now Interscope and Death Row are now like, you know, in tandem. Dre and Jimmy are working together. Jimmy's getting to know Suge Knight, who... They're best of friends, which I I didn't know this whole part of the story. And I was like, that is interesting to me. Like, I'm like, I wish this documentary was only about... Jimmy and Suge. Just, I would love to have just seen them talk for two hours. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like I've never really gotten a good hold on what Suge Knight does. It's yep, that he's same. An, he's an he's intimidating like an presence. Yeah. Yeah. And and turned that into being a mogul. Yeah. Uh, but Jimmy loved him. It was like, he's the nicest guy. He's so funny. And then, like, they don't show you him being funny <laughs> or nice. <laughs> and they talk about this football game that Jimmy would have every Sunday at his huge uh, football field in his mansion. And the list of people who went to that game is incredible because it's Suge Knight, the Kennedys. And there's a great picture with, like, JFK yes. Jr. and Suge Knight all like standing like a classic we're about to play some football in the backyard picture bon jovi eddie van halen wayne gretzky tom jones john McEnroe, gene simmons i just want a documentary about that football game yes <laughs> and you know vicky is running his life he's going nuts with oh the yeah label. they're like they got him he got himself a wife mommy secretary to do everything <laughs> that he doesn't want to do and he'd go insane on the weekends because he couldn't get anybody on the phone he loves the phone so much i think that is like 
really i think it's his greatest love he loves it more than music he loves it more I, than making you money sound he loves like a, you sound like a talking head in this documentary yeah. <laughs> you really do that's like a soundbite they would right. use i yeah. think jimmy's greatest love it's tom petty i think jimmy's greatest love is the phone <laughs> i'm not doing yeah. a petty impression and then they talk about how snoop you know is in trouble because of uh murder that he was connected to and then Trent insists on signing Marilyn Manson. And then there's a bunch of protests about Marilyn Manson. And they do a montage. That is scary. They do yeah. a scary <laughs> a scary montage set to like the beautiful people. And it's like Tupac and Snoop and Nine Inch Nails and, and Marilyn Manson. And, and the LA riots and mm-hmm. Marilyn Manson peeing on stuff and then that like unreleased nine inch nails music video of a guy's like organs getting grinded up uh grounded Uh, but like i my takeaway from that was i thought it was very i think it was doing tupac a tremendous disservice to be like you know he's kind yeah he was kind of the Marilyn manson of (laughs) hip-hop i'm like yeah the parallels were not even there no because it's like they're talking about marilyn manson and then they're talking about like snoop and, and tupac trent reznor a genius yes so, like marilyn manson was just like a product of the time and like honestly has done nothing outside of like crimes i guess yeah i was yeah, gonna say crimes, crimes. <laughs> very <laughs> serious crimes crimes and you knew he was nothing in 20 even when they made this documentary because he's not featured in it like as a they don't talk head. to him yeah well i just think you know something that i thought was interesting about this is like we've just moved so far beyond rap music is just such a integrated part of culture and things like that that like you forget how freaked out people were and how scared Mm -hmm. they were Mm -hmm. and stuff and like i didn't i mean that never registered with me i remember when like nothing but a g thing came out and i was just like cool this slaps like whatever it is but i I guess i'm just thinking about the cultural shift the rock and roll panic again Mm -hmm. you know i think this documentary actually does a pretty good job Mm -hmm. of showing that yeah. Uh, you know, because there's these op eds where Time Warner is getting trashed because they own 25% of Interscope. They say it's like owning a mustard gas factory. <laughs> you see mm-hmm. fucking Bob Dole. Uh, you see all these politicians who like are clutching their pearls about both rap music and like Marilyn Manson. And Time Warner is getting a lot of flack. And there's like this cable bill that like Bob Dole is. Also, the cable bill is like, it's sorry. I just want to say that that cable bill is actually the Telecommunications Act is truly one of the worst pieces of legislation. Mm -hmm. It has ruined media in this country. It is a very, very, very bad bill. And Jimmy Iovine is so hyped about it. I mean, it's it ruined. Like they, it ruined like radio. It yeah, ruined a lot of is a lot of shit. Such a bad piece of legislation. It fucked so much up with regard to like just diversity of art in this country. It, yeah, it allowed corporations to own everything. It allowed monopolies to. It take is hold. very very bad legislation. And Jimmy Iovine is like, so they wanted you know, and I was like, cool. Like he, they yeah. really act like because they came out on top money wise, mm-hmm. you know, that it was just everything worked out for them. They're fine. They were but the winners. The cable bill is, is part of a number of things that causes like this shit storm. There's also a Turner merger with Warner. That's like on the cusp and, you know, they need to please them. And then there's a new guy, this guy, Michael Fuchs came from HBO to run 
the music division at Warner, but he's not a music guy and he's butting heads with the music industry. He fires this beloved Doug Morris, who was the Atlantic guy. And so there's just all this shit is happening and Michael Fuchs is cleaning house. And uh, this is a great story in the documentary. Fuchs somehow like kind of tricks Suge Knight into having a meeting with (laughs) Dionne Warwick and Melba Moore uh, and maybe the mayor of Compton too. And it's clear that like, if this meeting happens, Interscope and Death Row are going to get majorly fucked over. And I don't exactly know how this works as a stalling technique, but he just tells Suge to go to Jerry's Deli with him and a guy named David Kenner. And then they just eat food for 12 hours yeah i, and I don't know wait a house. i thought like, that like dion yeah. warwick was gonna talk to him about like respectability or something she but was, I, it, yeah yeah it was it was it was going to ruin the label though if if all of a sudden it's like there's no more gangster rep mm-hmm. right. like and talking about like the community and how he's supposed to be like a positive presence so like Jimmy Iovine knows that there's no money without controversy, which I think mm-hmm. is like a huge part of this. But like, yeah, I think that was- which they also never really cop to. They're like, yeah, shit got scary, but like, what were we gonna do? We needed it. it, it yeah, it- yeah. So you know, that's they they avoid that through Jimmy's. <laughs> Jimmy's ingenious idea of go eat a bunch of food in a public place. (laughs) Well, and then, you know, they kind of like straight up dunk on the guy and, you know, dunk on Dionne Warwick. (laughs) If you were such a, yeah, I thought you were supposed to be psychic. You should have known I wouldn't show up. (laughs) That's fine. That was a good punchline. Yeah. I, I doubt Chuck Knight said that. Right. But... Yeah. <laughs> or that cleanly, or maybe he like fumbled over it and tried yeah, it a few yeah. times. But yeah, so then we start to see the East Coast, West Coast rap feud is heating up. Uh, the idea of Dr. Dre and Tupac is floated, but Pac's in jail. Uh, and they're like, Time Warner won't allow Interscope to bail out Tupac, so they advance the money to Death Row, who's still under the umbrella of Time yeah. Warner, so mm-hmm. they can do it. It doesn't fully makes sense but then you get also the one guy really wants to take credit for getting tupac out of jail there's the like a white executive yeah it's just it's like bold, the, bold it might man. be suge knight's name on the papers but i was Let's involved in yeah. getting yeah. tupac out i um, need to say this i've been telling my grandkids this <laughs> they need it on the record and when Pac gets out, you know, obviously they make good music but Pac really fans those flames in like a way that is dangerous. Jimmy has the line where he's like, am I defending free speech or am I funding Hamas? Well, things are so, I, I, I guess that I was. Involved. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look, yeah. I, it might've said Shug's name on the paper. No, <laughs> yeah. I, I think a thing that is good that they talked about and that I think we really gloss over in this history is it really did upset me to hear about that engineer getting beaten in doc's office like i was like this is horrifying to imagine like because it's a very brutal image and it's like doc right he's like yeah he's like the guy's pulling on my pants begging them to stop and snoop's like you either let us do this to you or you die Mm -hmm. your two options are take it or you know literally taken out and it it, it was upsetting again 
I understand that we are in a different place culturally now, but I, and, and I think that it's kind of like normative to, to just be glib about like, oh, we were also up in arms about gangster rap. Like what were we, you know, LOL, mm-hmm. look mm-hmm. at all the white people clutching their pearls being so upset and stuff. But I do think it is a problem <laughs> that- I mean, Dre left death row for those reasons and and they all like thought he was a traitor and then understood you know when people there was started a body dying count, yeah more people yes then it was like oh okay we we kind of you saw what was what was happening mm-hmm. um yeah no it, it's it's and that like hasn't true. been enough of the story i think in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and i am glad that they that they touched on that right that it's not just it's not just like distracts going back and forth mm-hmm. it was like serious yes. violence yes i do think there is actually more meat on the bone of that and i think Mm -hmm. that would have actually been a more compelling documentary as a whole is that era is kind of untalked about because like they only talk about how like you know tupac got shot biggie got shot and that's it but there's Mm -hmm. so much more to that i mean like they touched on snoop dogg getting like the murder rap but like they did not even go into like at the VMAs at that time when mm-hmm. Snoop Dogg performed. Came how, out of a casket with the murder. I mean, like how, how upset that made people. I remember that yeah. being talked on the news about how like callous it was for him to be performing about some guy's death that he may or may not have been responsible for. Yeah terrible well and also i think snoop in a lot i mean i know that we're not doing it we'll do a snoop episode someday because he's going to get in but we have really glossed over a lot of stuff on that end you know and i just yeah now he's he's uh he's america's sweetheart he and martha stewart make you know weed cookies together and that's that it's the best rehab anyone has ever done like image rehabilitation (laughs) in american history pr that uh went into turning him into (laughs) scooby-doo right remarkable But let's uh let's get let's back go. to why don't we talk about Alan Grubman? We get a very we get a very Alan Grubman story where oh he's my in the south of France. Oh my god, this Jimmy. fucking guy. He's like, you gotta get back here. There's gonna be a very important Warner meeting. Thank God for the Concord. All right, Alan. So th- there's this huge... thing. I mean, wow. Yeah. yeah. Just, I mean, wow. Get him into the rock hall. He Wowie. really needs it. This guy, um, thank God. <clears throat> So Warner is, you know, they're kind of at their wits end because of all the controversy and they want to buy out Interscope for 150 million. Alan Grubman's like rubbing his hands like, great, this is good. We can clean our hands of of death row, not be involved in this anymore. But Jimmy's like, absolutely not. We're not doing this. And they're all like $150 million. Like, what are you crazy? You know, against that's supposed to be his his best advisor. And he's saying no. And then what ends up happening is Warner sells them Interscope back. And then now they get to own all of it, which really impresses David Geffen. Uh, And then they get their old buddy, Doug Morris, who was fired, now is at MCA. And then he buys half of it for $200 million. And so the evaluation goes from 150 to... Or whatever. Whatever. This is when they all the rich guys start like rubbing their hands together and being like, ha ha ha. ha, This is when we really started making money. And the way we did it was these complicated business deals. And I was Mm -hmm. like, Uh no, thanks. Right. (laughs) This is really where the doc just completely goes off the rails for me. And I like to go from like 
east coast west coast and all this stuff that is actually like interesting and they're like money baby let's talk about money yeah. like it all works out yeah no doubt famous now uh-huh <laughs> it was all worth it i will say though this then they do the montage of all the songs that came out in the aughts on interscope and i'm like well at this point what? they are they, in december 1996 they have the top four albums on the billboard chart and going from it's you know they have the Don Caluminati theory, the when Tupac is Machiavelli at that time, uh, No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom, The Dog Father from Snoop Dogg at, at number two, and the number one, they don't say it, they don't ever mention the band, but Interscope Records Group, Bush with Razorblade Suitcase. Yeah. Mm. Number Machine one album head, in America. Baby, let's go. Razorblade Suitcase is not the one with all the hits on it. It's the, oh. Steve, it's the Steve Albini follow-up. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Uh, they like, we close out part three with like things are getting scary. Uh, Jimmy like doesn't go to a party and someone gets stabbed there. He's wearing bulletproof vests. Tupac dies. Should goes to prison for violating his parole. It's chaotic as we but end. Something's brewing in Detroit, Michigan. <laughs> yep. So we go to we go to part four. Uh, and we get we get footage from. Jimmy's 50th birthday, more Dre and, and Jimmy stuff. Uh, Bono's there, of course. Vicky's uh, finally had enough or no, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. We've got, you know, Dre starts the new label Aftermath. He does it 50-50 with Interscope, you know, kind of after he just, you know, didn't want to be part of Death Row anymore. And that was all done. Dre releases a bunch of flop albums. There's pressure for Jimmy Iovine to get rid of Dre, but he says no. And then a little tape from Detroit makes its way to Interscope. Jimmy plays it for Dre and they freak out. It's a little slim shady named Eminem. <laughs> yeah, they they it, it kind of I, I imagine it would play exactly like that opening scene in the Elvis movie of them all realizing he's white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, like, and they talk about how, like, it, cred wise, like street cred wise, everyone's like, Dre, what are you fucking doing? Like, this guy's blue eyes. He's yeah. what Lily a terrible White. idea. Like, yeah. This is a this is a weird move, you know, and then it's a huge hit, obviously. And then there's also I want to say though, I really enjoyed them talking about his album Aftermath flopping. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because I, I I was like, they're showing scenes from the music video that he shot during that. And it's like him tangoing. It is like Dre (laughs) in tango position with someone else. And I was like, what the hell is this? This looks awful. And I'm like, I didn't remember it at all. And then they're like, oh yeah, it was not good. And he's like, yeah, nothing will humble you. Like, absolutely. Dre should not be an artist. Like he should be a producer. He is very, very good at it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I was just, I'm glad that they owned that that was bad and he did not do well and that yeah, he actually he had... really needed a win mm-hmm. and that, that, that had done very badly for the label. Right. And yeah, that it, it, it reflected poorly on Jimmy yes. um, who wouldn't release him. Uh, so, you know, the Eminem thing happens. It's a huge phenomenon. It's bigger than anything anybody's ever seen. There's also controversy that comes with it. And then they talk about, you know, they go through like the other artists that came in the wake of that 50 Cent, The Game. Dre does have a hit album with 2001. We get we get more Will I Am in this and he talks about, he very briefly mentions it. He seems to imply that Jimmy 
came up with the idea to put Fergie in Fergie the, in the group. He also acts like the Black Eyed Peas were not a group before. I, I'm just like, I remember the like conscious Black Eyed Peas. They won the MTV2 award uh, at the VMAs. <laughs> yeah, <right>? For example, <laughs> they were very MTV2. Like, yeah, independent, like, like, yeah. And I remember it was like, oh yeah, these guys are cool. And like all of their r- rhymes were about not selling out too. Incredible yeah. stuff. You'd love to see <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but not only Jimmy the black says, guy, why don't you put this girl in the group? Yeah. And he taught, and I mean, Will I Am is like, we got, we had these songs. He was like, more, more, more. We need hits. We need singles. And the and other then... people on the label during that time, uh, Nelly Furtado, Timbaland, Pussycat Dolls, Gwen Stefani Solo. Uh, and then, yes, cue the dial up sound uh, because they, they seem to imply that Jimmy understands that the internet is going to ruin the music biz before anybody. And it drove him insane. He meets up with Intel to try and fix the problem. They kind of dismiss him. So then he meets up with his exact double, Steve Jobs. And he's there to learn. He's going to learn from. And there's there's some shots in there. On his knee again. <laughs> yeah. With, with Jimmy and Steve Jobs and Bono. And I was like, oh, this is the origin they're of. They're going to talk about uh, how they, the album got added. Gonna, <laughs> they put that album on the, on the iPod. That's on where it all started. IPod. It's so clear, too, that, like, Steve Jobs is the only person in the documentary where, like, Jimmy is just, like, in love with him. Like, mm-hmm. this was his hero. Yeah. It didn't matter that he was working with Bruce or Tom or Dre or Eminem. No, it was all Steve Jobs. Yeah. Got, yeah. It was really weird to me to do three full episodes to get to the great love of his life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and you know, not coincidentally, he gets divorced from gets his divorced. wife this time. He meets Steve Jobs. He gets divorced from his wife. And, you know, there's this now famous meeting where Jimmy, it's implied that Jimmy just like walks up to Dre's beautiful house on the right on the beach and they get to talking and someone's trying to get Dre to sponsor sneakers to have his own sneakers and jimmy and uh, with a line that he certainly never said he goes sneakers (laughs) fuck sneakers you should sell speakers yeah and then that's how they come up with the the greatest company of all time beats also they go he goes and i was sitting in this very chair right he was sitting in this very chair right here that they show a shot of that empty chair on yes Dre's deck for I mean like, 10, they, 15 like, seconds. Zooming it zooms in. In. I mean, it is not an attract it's not like a special chair. It's not, yeah. special <laughs> chair. It's not particularly like expensive looking. It's like a corduroy indoor outdoor chair. And from Whatever. this point on in the documentary, it is all about how beats is the most important thing in Jimmy's life and the most important thing in our lives. And it's sad. He's so desperate. And they talk about like, if you even saw Jimmy Iovine, he was going to make you put on those headphones and he was going to take a picture of you wearing the phones. And it's Sounds not- Sounds like a fun guy to be around. It's not Sounds like endearing, a cool, chill thing. But they really presented as like, he was committed. They're like, isn't that amazing? I quit right about after like the montage of all the athletes wearing beats and how like, the his game plan was working and i was just like i'm done with this well this was like a trojan horse documentary all, <laughs> yeah that was it's all commercial. Just commercial it yeah. was a commercial and like i'm like all of that interesting stuff was just to get us here where i was like 
yeah, those beats do look cool. I, I truly myself... was by the end, legitimately. <laughs> yeah. Should I get some? Should I get some? Not an exact. I was for real, like you know, they are pretty cool looking, and <laughs> now they make wireless ones. Like that's pretty, you know. And I was mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. It, they got it worked. He wins. He wins. Yeah. No matter he what, he, he wins. He trojan, like you said, he trojan horsed a beats commercial into this. And they talk about like how he was able to like get the athletes to wear them exactly and get the fines and then all the in the product placement. Yeah, that FIFA then, and NFL were like, don't do this, but that was perfect PR. But then they talk about Lady Gaga. Yes. So they they they're suddenly they're like, he signs Lady Gaga to Interscope, and you're like, Oh, are we gonna go back to the music? And, and it's I like, was like, Great, oh, this awesome. is gonna be interesting. And like, you know, they didn't like he he saw Lady Gaga and she was like you know, she wasn't what she was, you know, she had like brown hair and she was just a, a girl from the, and East she's Coast. talking about Andy Warhol and she, you know, he's he like, has, uses the line. She confused me so much. I finally, I, I just signed her, but like he saw that the music was weird, but like it was moving people in the clubs. And he was like, I think this will work. And then you realize this is all leading up to her being on the today show with Kathy Lee yep. and Hoda, just giving them the fucking sets headphones. Of I was like, she goes, these are the best headphones. <laughs> like, like they would, if she hadn't done that, Lady Gaga would not be in this documentary. Yeah. They like had to quickly be like, Oh yeah. He signed Lady Gaga, by the way. Anyway, here's her uh, doing a live commercial on the today show. And the thing is like, I really wanted to know more about Lady Gaga. Yeah, right. And that I- thing, like that sounds very interesting to me. But instead, they were like, and then he quit the music business, and now his dream came true, and he's an Apple employee. And now he's trying to figure out yeah. how to get people to listen to Apple music. Trent calls Jimmy shameless in, like, an endearing way, but, like, it comes through to me as, like, no, he is shameless. And then God bless Eminem for being the only person Thank with the Thank fucking God, exactly. Like, Fuck this Beats thing. Fuck that. He said, I want Dre to make another album, although yes. disagree. But yeah. it's like, <laughs> I want him to produce some more albums. But he goes, he goes, yeah, he's like, fuck this headphone shit. I want Dre to make another album. He's like, yeah. but you know, you look at the money. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's um, actually where I literally stopped watching. I think I think there's 10 minutes left in the yeah. document. Well, the last 10 finished, minutes, I think I, from Wikipedia, Jimmy starts working at the Genius Bar at, the, uh, at the, <laughs> Santa Monica. So Jimmy, they they show Jimmy again as being like a genius ahead of his time. He's like streaming is the next thing, and so they create Beats Music, which is like a streaming platform. And which he realizes, we all use to this day. Well, that's the thing. He's he's like he realizes he alone can't do this. He needs the muscle of Apple to be behind Beats, and so that's what the the deal is is that Apple requ- acquires Beats Music for three billion, and I guess the headphones as well. But it's like. If they just acquired Jimmy's like streaming service that nobody used, is this the worst deal of all time? <laughs> I mean, maybe they acquired something like maybe they get to get the money from the headphones now or something. I imagine that's the only way this deal makes sense to they me. They bought but like, Beats Electronics and Beats Music the whole for thing, three the billion. Hardware and yes. the, yeah, they bought but they like, bought them both. In they make it sound like oh, they got Beats Music. Good for Apple. Like literally, who gives a shit? And they also show footage of uh meetings where jimmy is like so people don't know apple music and nobody's using it we need ideas and it's like one of the last things you see you do get rock hall footage 
towards the very end because they start talking oh. about Kendrick, which is cool as like the one of the last, you know. Well, they start playing his music toward mm-hmm. the end. And so I was like, oh, are we going to get some Kendrick yeah, stuff? So it's like the, he's the most recent kind of disciple of Dre, like works with Dre, comes from the lineage. And you get some of his speech inducting NWA talking about how important that was. Yeah. And then that with Jimmy being like, people still don't use this thing. He's like, really? <laughs> He has billions of dollars and he's still consumed by the fact that, uh, <laughs> yeah. but then he and Dr. Dre start this school at USC because they realized nobody knows engineering and creative stuff. It's they're always like on separate sides and like the idea is to just through a school create uh, workers for them in the future. Yeah. yeah. Who can, who could be creative and engineer. There's more, there's more stuff about Suge Knight, which just sucks. He sucks so much. You know, he like, he just, taints everything that he touches you know because he on the set of straight out of compton he runs over a guy it's oh i'm gonna finish watching it now oh, that's yeah. terrible oh, God. the big win though is that jimmy has a new young wife uh and so wait what yeah the woman uh, named, woman named see, liberty. now i'm kind of wishing i had at least scrubbed through the yeah. ending this woman named liberty who is atticus ross's sister which they don't say in the documentary but i looked that up atticus ross is the guy who works with trent reznor and all those film scores uh-huh, he's in nine yeah. Inch she's wearing a crazy black almost Kate Blanchett and Thor Ragnarok hat <laughs> at their wedding. And they just show a ton of famous people at Jimmy's wedding to this, this young hot woman. Diddy calls it the blackest wedding that a white Italian man with a rabbi has ever had in LA. And so you see it. At, it's oh, almost so they're like, like, look, he's rich and he's got street cred. He's yeah. really can't and so have it. It's a victory lap. You just see shots Ugh. of the wedding. You see Oprah, Lady Gaga, Tony Bennett, Mary J. Blige, Patti Smith, Tim Cook, Paul McCartney, Bruce Springsteen, Stevie Nicks, Rick Rubin, Ellen and Portia, <laughs> Alicia Keys. I would love if he kept up with some of like the old guys that he grew up with and they're yeah. at this wedding. The docs guys. Like, yeah, the docs guys. I want the well, docs guys. The, the record plant guys. And then you get like this kind of one of the last lines comes from John Landau and it really almost fully explains why he's getting, I mean, like he he can get inducted without knowing the people in charge of the hall, but John Landau obviously is very important to the hall, runs the nominating committee, certainly has a say about who gets inducted. And he says that Jimmy Iovine is one of the the great inventors of all time. And it's like, okay, not only does this end the documentary, but this fully explains why he's getting inducted. And so that's the defiant ones. And now we know all about Jimmy Iovine and we're going to see it all again when he gets inducted and they chop up this very documentary series into a package which i believe will be the appropriate length for yeah. <laughs> yeah right like a six minute version of yeah. this it'll yeah. really pack a punch for sure and, and he's just sitting there just angry they're not talking about the fucking headphones they <laughs> will the last yeah. minute of it will be the headphones he'll come out like this take them off yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i think the last thing to talk about is like okay we know what the package is going to look like there's clearly a lot of people who could induct jimmy it's funny this year he's oh yeah because it's like everybody's eminem and then also Grubman. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, the three, the big three. <laughs> but it's like, I guess Dre could do it. He just inducted LL last year. They usually don't do two. I in think a row. it'll be like Gwen Stefani. I think it's going to be Oprah because <laughs> the moment you said that she was at his wedding, I'm like, 
Jimmy Iovine is definitely somebody who wants to like boost himself up. Like, I think I can't remember if it was Bruce who said that he has little man syndrome, but I do think he's going to go for the the top a list he could find. Maybe Tim cook, maybe Bruce. Yeah. I mean, Bruce would probably be Bruce Bono. Like those are, those are pretty big names. Yeah. But I just feel like those don't, I don't know. I guess I feel like in the documentary, I was led to believe he'd really left those guys behind that. Like they, that like he was after something more relevant, but now. they wouldn't have done the documentary if they didn't still really appreciate and respect him. That's so. true. Yeah, And they also like bust his balls in the documentary as if they're real friends with him. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, I mean, they, they knew him when he was in his, when he 20s. was nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So when he was like a kid, essentially, especially Bruce. So I don't know. It's hard to predict who I feel like anybody could do it. And then, you know, it might wind up being somebody completely out of the blue, like a, a newish person, but it'll be, I mean, it could be Stevie. It could be, I could be Stevie. Yeah. Just thinking about the people who have been around recently. I think there's too many people who have like been involved recently that they wouldn't almost like, I don't think it'll be Dre. I don't think it'll be Stevie. I don't think it'll be like any of the more recent people who've been at or on the show, I think it could be someone like Gwen, but yeah. maybe she's not big enough. I don't know. Yeah. Gaga, Gaga is a good one. Mm-hmm. That's a possibility. Based on this documentary, I'll tell you who it's not going to be: uh, his kids. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Sean, thank you for watching this uh, four-hour documentary. <laughs> I loved it. I loved every second of it. And uh, I want to give you the opportunity to let the folks listening know your social media. Anything else you want to plug that's uh, uh, out there? Listen. Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, all at Sean O'Conn's with a Z. And yeah, watch Solar Opposites on Hulu and uh, and the Defiant ones on Peacock. (laughs) (laughs) Full disclosure, I I was an executive producer of the Defiant one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was was great to talk to you again, Sean. Thanks for coming. And our listeners know that they can follow us at RockAllPod on Twitter and Instagram. RockAllPod at gmail.com is the email if you want Kristen to see your message. You need to designate that somewhere in there. Otherwise, she doesn't want to read it and I don't want to forward it. Uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you, Jimmy. Uh, rate and review us. Uh, five stars only. Anything less than five would be a real. It would be a real. Be a real Suge Knight move. Eve Gottlieb Suge <laughs> Knight move. Thank you to Mike Lloyd for the logo. Thank you to Yusu Kim for the music, and thank you to Pantheon Podcast for hosting us. I'm Joe Quazala. I'm Kristen Studdard. And who cares about the Rock Hall? It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. 
That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 